Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. In 2009, Korean-American journalist Yuna Lee traveled to China. She was there to film a documentary about the plight of people who escaped North Korea in search of freedom. On the last day of her trip, Yuna and her team briefly crossed the border into North Korea to capture some footage, before quickly returning to Chinese soil. But North Korean soldiers had spotted Yuna and her crew, and the soldiers raced over to them and dragged them back into North Korean territory. Yuna and a fellow journalist were then carted around to two different locations before being blindfolded and taken to an army base. Being blindfolded was very scared because you can't really see anything. But when someone snatched out the blindfold, and I was looking at the uh, prison cell, and that just told me that everything is the, going to the opposite direction that I wish to go. Yuna ended up being held captive for 140 days in North Korea. She was terrified and demoralized during her time there. But there was one part of her experience that surprised her. Before she moved to the U.S., Yuna had grown up in South Korea, where she'd been taught to view Northerners as the enemy. But that changed for Yuna during her time in North Korea as she found herself building emotional connections with the people who were guarding her. There were some moments that we could connect on a human level. There were some commonalities that we could understand each other as parents and then also understanding the Korean culture. And there were moments that we were able to make small talks that was really um, helpful during that detention. On today's episode, how finding humanity in your enemy can help you survive. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change. 
In March of 2009, Yuna Lee said goodbye to her husband and four-year-old daughter in California and traveled to China for a two-week trip to make a television documentary about North Korean defectors. The crew included Yuna, fellow journalist Laura Ling, a producer and a local guide, or fixer, as Yuna called him. On their last day of filming, they found themselves at the Tumen River, which flows between North Korea and China, and is a route that North Koreans use to seek freedom. Off in the distance, in North Korean territory, their fixers saw these so-called safe houses, where defectors would wait and hide before trying to cross the river into China. Yuna and her team knew it was a risky move to try and film the safe houses up close, but they also knew these houses represented a critical part of the escape route. So they followed their guide to the midpoint of the frozen Tumen River and crossed briefly over into North Korean territory. So after we get that footage, we quickly left. And we were in the middle of the river and walking back and continued to filming. And um, our producer, he shouted, soldiers. Two soldiers ran towards Yuna and her crew with rifles in hand. And we all ran as fast as we could to towards Chinese soil. And my fixer, who was running next to me, and asked me, are you filming this? And I thought, is it crazy? But then at the same time, you never know. So let me, let me film it because this is the scene that probably a lot of North Korean defectors are facing. So I flipped the camera and put under my arm and pushed the record and then ran. And our producer, uh, who was an avid runner, he disappeared out of my sight fast. And when I arrived in Chinese soil, I found Laura just knee on ice. And then I just stopped running. So I asked, are you okay? And she said, I can't, you know, I can't feel my legs. So in a flash, didn't know what to do with somebody who can feel her leg. And I knew that I cannot leave her alone there. And all these things in my mind. And then we were surrounded uh, by two North Korean soldiers. So so you find you find Laura on the ice, on her knees, unable to move, and you're now surrounded by North Korean soldiers. What happens after you're caught? So there were two small North Korean soldiers. One was guarding Laura, one was guarding me, and they both were determined to drag us back to North Korea. And I was fighting. I grabbed anything that in front of me not to be dragged. And at some point, he wanted to hit me because I was fighting against him. And he lifted his rifle. Back of his rifle was uh, pointing me. And so when I looked at him, and he was a young boy, maybe 17, and he, he wasn't hesitating to hit me. So I quickly told him that I'm going to get up and walk with you. So I got up and walked with him, and I saw Laura. And when I looked at her, she was unconscious on the eyes. She was hit by the other soldier. And uh, I screamed her name over and over to wake her up. And she finally woke up, and I helped her, and we got up, and we both followed these two soldiers and crossed the river. 
to North Korea. And what's going through your head at this moment, Yuna? Everything felt so surreal. Your mind was everywhere. And fear and worried and what's going on. And then, and then it's silly, but I was hopeful too, because some of the journalists sometimes talk to North Korean soldiers and then they write stories about it. So we knew about these things. So we were hoping that, oh, is it something that bad incident, but they're going to send us back home? I don't know. Oh, what's in my mind? I just couldn't believe. I just couldn't believe what just happened. Like, it's not something that you can organize your thoughts and plan things. You just face every moment that comes to you. And it was more like, I need to be calm so that I can make our best decision or best reaction. So I, I think I was trying to be calm. And I was trying to somehow find a human connection with them so that they won't be too brutal towards us. Can you say more about that? In what ways did you try to find human connection with them? They were actually, um, these boys were smoking um, while they're walking. And they offered me, do you want to smoke? I didn't smoke, but somehow I know that anything that's similar action that you do, they will have, uh, they'll feel comfortable. So I said, I'm going to, yeah, give me one. After Yuna and Laura were captured by these soldiers, they were moved to two different locations before being blindfolded and driven to an army base. What is the army base like? It was like a matchbox, a long box buildings with a gray color. And then they had an exercise yard in front of the building, soldiers to practice uh, knife fighting. And we were taken inside for a short moment to an officer. And the inside looked like uh, a scene from World War II. Everything was so old in there. Telephone, typewriters, everything was like your, you traveled time machine to 1940s. You you said to me that you were retaining some hope. You know, maybe we'll be okay. Maybe they'll let us, maybe they'll set us free. At what moment did you realize that wasn't going to be the case? Being blindfolded was very scared because you can't really see anything. But when someone snatched out the blindfold and I was looking at the uh, prison cell and that just told me that everything is uh, going to the opposite direction that I wish to go. And the cell was very small, and it was maybe five by seven. Maybe two others can lay down together, that small cell, and they put Laura and I into two different cells. And in there, there was uh, nothing, nothing but myself and I was there for two nights, but it was a long two nights. And were you told what was happening? I mean, did you get, did anyone let you know what the state of affairs was? Well, Laura and I quickly decided we are not going to tell them that we're from uh, television 
cable television, we were going to tell them we're students studying film, and then we followed our professor, which is our another producer who disappeared. So we kind of made that story. I kind of joked with my another producer in the plane. If anything happened, we tell this kind of story. I never knew that I was going to use that story. And they were they were interrogating Laura and me separate to get more information. Yuna's and Laura's stories did not completely match up. So they were immediately relocated to a secluded compound in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. There, they were isolated in separate rooms. North Korean government officials repeatedly questioned Yuna and Laura for months, with the goal of getting them to reveal the truth about who they really were and why they were there. Eventually, North Korea's tactics worked. In May of 2009, Yuna and Laura broke down and signed a confession. They were brought to trial three weeks later and sentenced to 12 years in a North Korean hard labor camp. Yuna was stunned by the verdict. When exactly they'd be transferred to the labor camp was still up in the air, but Yuna was paralyzed with fear about how she would survive her time there. That is the moment that I crash it. And at that time, everything that all my hope, all my effort to put myself together just uh, just crash it and I I was so in panic mode and North Korean officers brought doctors to make sure that I'm not going to lose myself um what did it look like for you when you lost hope you know North Korea gave me sleeping pills I, I didn't take any pills that they gave me and I collected them. And that's the moment that I felt like I wanted to just take them all and just, uh, I wanted to find peace. It was so, so hard to even breathe. And I wanted to find the peace. And I, that's the moment that I really wanted to let everything go. But thankfully, you know, my, my daughter's face just uh, like passed by. <laughs> Um, it, it flashed me in front of me, and then I felt that's a very selfish decision to make. So, so one more day, you know, one more day, someone wrote to me that well, it's one more day close to home. Don't think that you are adding days in North Korea. It's one more day close to home. So I reminded myself that. So I thought, okay, maybe this is a, the burden that I can handle. Still, Yuna continued to fear her eventual transfer to a hard labor camp, and she desperately missed her family back in California, her husband Michael and her four-year-old daughter, Hannah. She was rarely allowed to talk with them by phone, so she spent hours a day writing letters to Michael. Michael and I really lift everything to God and then whatever we we just uh, without talking to each other we we knew that we couldn't control anything and then we're gonna rely on God whatever happened then we'll be okay and Hannah was uh, didn't know we didn't tell Hannah that I was detained. She thought that I was on a business trip. Oh my god! Yeah. But Michael thought that 
something, she knew something was wrong because he said she got up in the middle of the night and started to cry out of nowhere. Um, we did our best to, to protect Hana at the time. Uh, she was only four. Yeah. Wow. So at one point, um, Laura says to you, look, Yuna, tell them that you have a daughter at home. I'll stay here instead. And, and you refuse. You're clearly an exceedingly loyal person, right? But I'm wondering, you know, in that moment, how do you weigh these competing loyalties in your life, right? You have loyalty towards Laura. You also have loyalty towards Michael and Hannah. You know, how do you think about that? It's such an incredibly painful and challenging position to be in. I... <sighs> I'm 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 grateful that you you know you're seeing this a really positive way, but I don't know. I I think I thought about it. I thought about why am I making those choices? Why am I not thinking about myself first, my family first? I always thought that. Um, my families are, family is always next to me, right? I always thought that they will be there all the time. So my priority was somebody who needed my help, not my family, because my family is going to be always there. And why am I putting so much attention to others and then you helping everybody else but my family? But I still don't know. I think it's because I cannot leave. If uh, I think about myself, I, you know, I, I abandon something or I abandon somebody else because of my my own selfish reason. I cannot leave. I don't think, in under any circumstances, leaving Laura alone on the ice by herself. If uh, I escaped and then survived, I don't think I could have lived normal life. The guilty feeling. If Laura said, you go home, you have a child, I'll stay here. If I said, okay, I'm going to think about my family better and then leave Laura there by herself. I don't think I could have lived without any single day without guilty feeling. If I don't align with what I feel like what's right, then I would carry that burden with on my shoulders every day. We'll be back in a moment with a slight change of plans. Sometimes trusting your gut doesn't work. Like when you end up late because you think the line at the coffee shop doesn't look too long. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions. But if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement I love called Symbiotic Plus. It includes clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. All kinds of things can mess with your gut on a daily basis, like stress, travel, and food choices. I take Symbiotic Plus from Ritual every morning to help my gut microbiome. The delayed release is designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And I appreciate that it's in just one minty capsule, no refrigeration needed. There's no more shame in your gut game. 
Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 20% off. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Did you know that an estimated 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? And if that's not bad enough, most of these cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy to ship and leads to excessive carbon emissions. Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials. The idea is simple. They offer refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. I love that I can just fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blueland tablets, and start cleaning. Blueland is a staple in my home because I find their products super clean and effective. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. Blueland has a special offer for listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash slight. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash slight for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash slight to get 15% off. Korean-American journalist Yuna Lee and her colleague Laura Ling were captured in 2009 by North Korean soldiers and had been sentenced to 12 years in a North Korean hard labor camp. The date for their transfer to the labor camp had not yet been set, so Yuna and Laura continued to spend their days in confinement in a secluded complex in Pyongyang. One thing that really moved me about your story is that you were surprised by the kindness that the people you met in North Korea showed you and that it violated your former assumptions given how North Koreans were portrayed to you growing up in South Korea, right? Um, can you tell us a bit more about Officer Lee who was put on your case? I remember one time I was losing so fast in North Korea. I lost about 17 pounds. And um, I was, uh, I started small, but then, you know, losing 17 pounds was a lot at the time. But because of my stomach was so small that I couldn't take a lot of food at once. And you're a prisoner, so they will give you only three meals a day. And I couldn't eat a lot each meal. And I think he noticed that. He noticed that I couldn't eat a lot. And, um, he asked if I'm getting enough meal. And one day he brought some bread 
and gave to me to eat as a snack. And the other time was after I was sentenced to 12 years at the North Korean court. Um, I was frightened. I think uh, that was a time that I dropped everything and then did not want to hang on anymore. I, it was almost like I, I wanted to just give up. And he wanted to somehow comfort me. And he took me outside of my confinement. And I told him I'm not going to survive in the labor camp for 12 years. And he said, we're not going to kill you. So he did his best to comfort me. Um, when he could. Yeah. Can you tell me about the, the two female guards and and the bond that you eventually developed with them as well? Oh, yeah. They were in young 20s, and um, one girl was studying English. She wanted to be a translator. And her dream was to be a translator because she wanted to tell the world how how amazing our country is. Not that bad that like you guys portrayed and we have something good about our country. That's a, that was her dream. And she was uh, very curious about uh, some of the book that I received from home. And she wanted to have that book because she's studying English, right? So things like that, she go, she asked me if I, she can borrow that book. Of course, you know, I'll just give to her the book. And so we did all those things uh, when people were not around us. And um, the other girl was a beautiful, she had a beautiful voice. She was a really good singer. Um, she sang, um, to my surprise, she sang Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On all the time. But honestly, I grew up propaganda towards North Korea, and then I thought that they don't want to do anything to do with America. Language fashion or anything, you know, art, culture. So I was actually very surprised that she was singing that song. And one day I told her, like, you have a beautiful voice. You want to be a singer? And she said, no, I can't. And later I learned that to be a singer in North Korea, you have to have money, you have to have a good family background, all these things to be successful in singing career. So she probably did not have any of those things. So I felt so bad for her. So every time I see her that I, I wanted to kind of uh, value her, you know, the value you know, like, you know, how good she is and then how beautiful her voice is. And when she left that job the last day, I was really sick in my room, so I couldn't move. And she came to me and told me that I hope that you'll get better soon and then you'll be with your family soon. And that was our last conversation. Yuna was shown many small acts of kindness from the people she interacted with at the complex. They brought her treats like cherries and fruit juice and turned up the volume on songs they knew she liked. And Yuna was charmed by how curious they were about many aspects of life in America, including dating and one-night stands. We were talking about dating, and then she asked, like, is that really true? There's one-night stand exists. And then I, I laughed, and I laughed. <laughs> how did you guys even know? 
<laughs> That's not even the, the the country itself is so conservative in that culture, you know, dating culture. And then I thought that was really funny that they brought up. So when I said like, I think so. Sometimes some people it happens. To, uh, some people not to everybody, and then they were like, ah, you know, like a little girls. So I I felt I forgot. I forgot that I was a prisoner at that moment. I felt like I was sitting in my high school classroom with my friends and talking about all these things. I think because of me, a prisoner, they were pretty in this job, right? 24-7, they couldn't go home. So they complained a lot about, I want to go home, I want to hang out with my friend, and I want to do this. At some point, I think they fell for me that, oh, she's the one who can go home. 5,000 miles from home than by herself. I heard she has a child. And they wanted uh, um, without showing too much because of our relationship is guard and prisoner. So they wanted to show their kindness very subtle way. The guard did that when they're by themselves. Officer Lee did that when, you know, when someone wasn't around. So everything they do, the kindness, they did that when no one was around. At this point, August 2009, Yuna and Laura had been held captive for more than four months in North Korea and were waiting to find out when they'd be transferred to the hard labor camp. But unbeknownst to Yuna, former President Bill Clinton was on his way to North Korea at that moment to negotiate their release. And it was actually Officer Lee who tipped Yuna off to this fact, that hope was on the way and that someone very important was coming to see her. It was President Clinton. Oh, my God. You, it was, uh, I thought it was an angel standing. Um, and, you know, he has gray hair. And there was a big window behind him. So you can see, you can really see his face, but with a gray hair person, with tall guy, with a very generous smile. And then he opened his arms. So we ran to him and um, he, he embraced us and asked us, are you guys doing okay? So he brought his personal um, physician with him. So he wanted uh, us to talk to the physician to make sure that we are physically okay conditioned to leave if he can make that happen. So he told us that he has one more meeting to go, but uh, he can't promise anything, but we, I want to make sure that you are physically okay. And Laura and I were like, we're okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're okay. <laughs> we can go. Yeah. I, I've watched the, the footage on YouTube, basically on loop, um, yeah. in which you're getting off the flight and you reunite with Michael and Hannah. What's striking about the video, it, it is that it is a complicated joy, right? I thought everything is going back to normal. And then we remember everybody and hug each other. And then, you know, that's what I was, what I expected. And when Hannah hesitant to come to me, it really ached my heart. So 140 days was a long time for this four-year-old girl. She was just so confused by everything, like seeing her mom after so long and, you know, seeing these old cameras and then people and then in front of the airport. And I asked her, do you remember me? It's mom. It's mom. 
I said in Korean, and she nodded, and then, can you give me a hug? And then she came to me, and uh, I do, it's that moment, just thinking about that moment, still make me choke. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. So I, I, I realized that it's been exactly 12 years since your captivity. And so in a counterfactual world, had you been in the labor camp for 12 years, this would have been the year that you were reunited with your, your daughter, Hannah, right? Who's now 16. Is that right? Yeah. We, we talked about it. My husband and I talked about that. It would have been this year that we would be reunited if I didn't come home. And every moment is like whenever I give her a hug, whenever I, you know, bless her at night. And it's, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And, um, thank uh, we, without saying it, we knew it how we are blessed to be together. Mm. You know, we've been talking about how during that period of your life, in the years leading up to North Korea, and then even in the days you were in North Korea, um, you were ruthlessly prioritizing others over yourself and, and your family. And I want to know how that dynamic has shifted in your life, like how how, how that's changed for you, if at all. <laughs> it did. It did. It did. I put my family first before others. Now, I'm not very, I'm not going to say that I'm very good at it, 100%, I'm changing it. No, but I can, I can probably tell, share, I can share that, no, I think about my family a lot more, <laughs> a lot more than I used to be, and then I put them as a priorities. And I don't, for that matter, I don't have a guilty feeling when I do that yeah. anymore. So I'm very thankful. I will say that, you know, in learning about your story and, you know, first of all, the horrors of being detained in North Korea and all that came with that, one of the most painful moments for me was, it was just a small line in your book, but for some reason it really, um, it really moved me. It, you were saying that there was a night where you slept really well. And you felt so burdened by guilt because you thought, how dare I sleep well when my family is suffering back home? And I guess the reason that that meant so much to me is that um, it showed me like the depth of complexity of what you were dealing with on a psychological level. It's like you're both trying to minimize your pain to survive. But then anytime you feel a moment of joy or calm or happiness, you're saddled by guilt. You know, Maya, I still live in, live in that. I cannot enjoy. I feel like I even after I, I came home and then a lot of people pay attention to our stories and, you know, and I had a lot, I made a lot of friends who I never knew before and all these uh, things that they usually enjoy, even birthdays or happy moments I couldn't enjoy. 
they couldn't enjoy any happy moment because of that guilty feeling followed me from somewhere. And I I was... Uh, um, I was worried about what if, what if uh, anybody's, anybody's in pain, including, including the defectors who we met. So, so the moment that you want to, when you go through the moment that it's painful, you want to get out of it, right? You want to get out of that moment and you want to have some easy, easy time. But when I got out of that, painful time and then I have a little bit of peace in me then immediately that the guilty feeling Mm. came to me to bother me have you been able to make progress on that to feel that just like all the people you're trying to help out there um, including your family that you you too deserve happiness and peace I am I learn, I mean, I, I feel happy when I see my family is happy. But my emotions are very dry since then. I try to be happy. I try to tell myself that it's okay to enjoy it. It's okay. So I try to tell myself that. Mm. Your story makes me reflect on the fact that as people, we, we like to villainize whole swaths of, whole swaths of people you know, whole countries. And a lot of people are victims of their circumstance. You know, it's very possible. Officer Lee didn't choose to be born in North Korea, right? It's possible that he's a really good-hearted human being who is in terrible circumstances. And in order to protect his family, he had to take this job. And from what you're describing, it seems like he brought as much humanity as he could to an otherwise really terrible position. You're, you're, you're so right. Not everybody's, uh, have, have that heart. Um, try to be nice to your prisoner. They, they do not have to. And some of them I could see that is a very bitter towards, uh, US and South Korea and then did not want to be nice at all. So I appreciate that, that even, even that small kindness that I was able to receive during that harsh time. You know, I've, I've read a lot about your story and people are saying, oh, you know, they were nice because they were being manipulative or she feels Stockholm syndrome or whatnot. And I just don't buy any of that. I'm sorry. Like at the end of the day, we, we as humans can be discerning enough to know when kindness is unnecessary, but people do it anyway. I guess I just get frustrated by that critique of your of your noticing humanity in others. I find it lightly offensive, honestly. Do we not want to see that humanity? If someone's criticize it, I do. Even 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 if someone says uh, it's that Stockholm syndrome. Ten years later, eleven years later, I still remember that small kindness. I'm not saying that everything was so wonderful and it was peaceful. There were many, many, many moments that I wanted to give up my life. Do we want to hold on that memory? No, I don't want to. I want to believe that 
we all have a human has all kind heart somewhere. They can we can bring it out. Then we will understand better. If you meet somebody on a human level, you have a better understanding. You have a better open heart to understand that person. And like North Koreans grow up propaganda towards uh, us, I did the same thing. We did not understand each other as human beings. And to me, North Koreans, to me now, are the people who I remember, who I interacted. They are the North Korean to me now. Before my experience, North Koreans were the ones that who I watched on news. Now I'm back to my normal life. I hate to forget about that. That the good side of human, good human side. I hate to forget about it. It's so easy to forget and then focus on the news and then judge others by what you, the information you receive. So I try to remember that those people who I interacted, that's North Koreans. You know, we we gotta have that human interaction. We gotta see each other, and I think. Every human being has that good side of uh, humanity. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me next week when I talk to Dr. Dixon Chibanda, a psychiatrist in Zimbabwe who is on a mission to help people in his community access mental health care. There weren't nearly enough psychiatrists and therapists to meet the need, so Dixon turned to a rather unorthodox group for help, grandmothers. I kind of realized that there was something in having an older woman who has wisdom and experience, you know, reaching out to help a young mother who is struggling with postnatal depression, with anxiety disorder, and just reaching out and establishing that connection that makes that person feel comfortable to make them feel that sense of belonging, that I am in a place where I'm being taken care of. That was really powerful. A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes Tyler Green, our senior producer, Jen Guerra, our senior editor, Ben Tolliday, our sound engineer, Emily Rostek, our producer, and Mia LaBelle, our executive producer. Luis Guerra wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there, including Malcolm Gladwell, Jacob Weisberg, Lital Malad and Heather Fain. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. See you next week. Well, I, ha- I have to just ask you, what is your relationship with Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On? <laughs> <laughs> I 
how do you, you know, how do you feel about the song? Can you even listen to it? You know, you know what? She, she fell in love with this song so much that she was singing over and over. And sometimes I wanted to close my ears, like, oh, I need to be quiet. <laughs> Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.